Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, all. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. There are many different aspects and modalities involved in healing. Each have their own form of assessment. For example, uh, acupuncture has been used with success for centuries. James Reston shed a light on acupuncture when he went to China and had surgery with no anesthesia. Uh, having studied acupuncture, um, what they have what's called a homunculus. This is a representation of the body found in a particular part of the body. For example, there are homunculi in the ear, which is used in auricular acupuncture, in the hands, as used in Korean acupuncture, the scalp, as used in Japanese acupuncture. We've all heard of reflexology, where different parts, uh, areas of the body are referred to in different parts of the foot. Our eyes have similar connections. Iridology is the study of the iris, which is the colored part of the eye, the round part. Sclerology is the study of the sclera, which is the white part of the eye. Have these methods have su- had success? Are there research studies? How does this work? And why does it work? Well, today we have a guest who's an expert in iridology, Christos Miliankos. I'll just call him Christos because I might mispronunciate his name. He's been practicing... Oh, <laughs> uh, mispronunciate was a joke, by the way. Okay, he's been practicing as a naturopath and a Bowen therapist in... Wangarata, a VIC Australia, since 2001. He specializes in integrated iridology, Bowden therapy, naturopathy, and homeopathy. He teaches iridology, Bowen therapy, and Rayid birth order. He's also the past president of the International Iridology Practitioners Association. With a deep understanding of the body's natural healing abilities, Christos empowers clients by offering simple yet effective strategies that can be easily incorporated into their daily lives. He believes in unlocking the true potential of a person through the body wisdom, uh, the signs of their iris, tongue, and face assessment. By addressing the root causes of health issues and emphasizing a holistic approach, he enables families to take charge of their well-being and create lasting positive changes. With Christos as your guide, you can experience a transformative power of natural health, leading to a healthier, happier, and more vibrant family life. He lives on a beautiful property in the Kings Valley, which is in Southeast Australia, with his wife, Sandy, and the five children. He loves to travel, is constantly amazed, and humbled by spending time with other cultures abroad. So welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's lovely to join you from the other side of the world. Yeah, I mean, we're with three different continents here involved in this call, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, what was your path that led you to your interest in iridology? Well, that's very interesting, actually, because I, um, what happened was I studied um, computer science. After, after high school, I studied computer science, and I wanted to, um, to uh, why I studied that was I wanted to be really rich. And 
by studying that, I, you know, it, that kind of didn't happen. I lost interest. I was also studying Japanese, and I was walking through around Japan one day when I was um, I went there to to work after um, my college years, and I come across a book, a book about oridology. It's a book by Bernard Jensen, and I like I bought it and I devoured it, and I thought, oh my god, this is so exciting. And Bernard Jensen is someone who also. Um, also really recommends a lot of tissue cleansing and bowel cleansing. And I was doing a lot of that while I was in Japan. And after traveling for two years, I thought to myself, I really want to be a naturopath. So when I came back to Australia after two years, I, um, I studied naturopathy. I, I, just, I just thought, I'm going to start all over again, even though I had a degree. So I started naturopathy. And in my first lesson was oridology. My first year of naturopathy was oridology. And I absolutely and utterly loved it. I loved learning about the eye, etc. But this is back in the 90s. And this is back when we thought that the iris changed. So, and, and now with digital photography and, and all our and modern, um, modern technology, we know that the iris is actually stable. The actual structure of your iris is quite stable. And I'll go into that in, in a sec. But when I was in that class, in a few months in, there was a lady who came with um, with a camera, and it was a really uh, it was a big Polaroid camera that she had to wheel in, and she took a photo of our eyes. And I thought to myself, I'm going to look in my eye, and I'm going to make it the best eye possible, because I believe that you know, with health, if you really want greatness, then you can't really have just the absence of disease. You need to have really optimal health. So that's what I really wanted. And when I looked in my eye, I had what we call flowers, but we used to call them weaknesses in my lung areas and my kidney areas and quite a few other areas. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to work for a whole year because I knew this lady was coming back in a year to take another photo. Um, so I thought for a whole year, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I, d- I did juice fasting. I did watermelon fast. I meditated. I thought good thoughts. So, you know, all the things that I thought would help my, my, my healing and my health. And when she came back the following year, I was... I was actually a bit devastated because it was pretty similar. Like the holes were still there in the fibres, etc. So I became a little bit despondent, to be honest. I still used oridology. I definitely still used it. I became a bit despondent. I thought to myself, well, if it doesn't change, what's the point? But then, again, but then after I finished my naturopathy degree, I met this lady called Tony Miller. And Tony Miller is, a, is a, um, an integrated oridologist from Australia who, who was teaching emotional oridology. And this is back in 2001. And I thought to myself, how can you possibly... See? I mean, I was a scientist. So I thought to myself, how can you possibly see emotions in the iris? But, you know, what? I was intrigued. So I went to her class. And she said to me... I was telling her this story as I'm telling you now. And she said to me, Christos, do you love your parents? I said, yeah, of course. And said, do you love your grandparents? I said, yeah, absolutely. And I was kind of getting a little bit annoyed at her questioning, to be honest. Um, And she said, would you want to change your grandparents? And I said, no. And she said, well, why would you want to change your iris? Because your iris reflects the four generations behind you. And it reflects the emotional, mental, and and physical aspects of them. And it, it shows you what you've inherited from them. So by actually looking at the iris, it actually teaches us how the best way to live, drink, think, eat, and love. So, actually, the iris, I saw the true power of it in that, in that moment because the iris is actually a, a great way to assess where we're at, where we, where we can go. It's like a Google Maps for our, for our, our health and our body, and it reflects um, what, how we can get to our optimal health. So, that's my iris story. 
Wow, that's interesting. So what is yeah. iridology and how does it relate to so, iri- health and optimal health? Yeah, so, iri- so iridology is basically looking at the, the structure and the colors inside your iris, inside the colored part of your eye. And, that, and what they do is they reflect what you've inherited from, from your last few generations, so your parents, your grandparents, and your great-grandparents. And by looking at the eye, we can tell a lot about your predispositions. So it's a really good way to... For example, for me, for myself, I'm predisposed, more predisposed to things to do with my lung and my kidneys. And I've never, I've never really had any kidney issues, but, but by knowing that, I look after my kidneys. So the, the, the kidneys become my nurture point my primary nurture point. So by looking at the structure in my iris, I've got some, some breaks in the fibres in my kidney zone. So by knowing that, I look after my kidneys and I, drink, I make sure I drink at least every few hours because if I don't, I'll get a headache. Now, for me, that doesn't mean that I'm sick. It just means that the kidneys are my nurture point and I need to nourish them with water. But my dad and my brother have both had kidney stones. And my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, died of, of a heart attack to do with his blood pressure and kidneys. And, when, and another nurture point of mine is my lungs. And I'm not someone who smokes, and I'm someone who tries to exercise as much as possible. But my brother has got cystic fibrosis, so that's a lung disease. And my, my maternal grandmother, or actually my mother, had a child die at five months old. My sister, who, who was born after me, died at five months old of pneumonia. And my grandmother, her, my mum's mum, she had six births, but only three survived, and they're all to do with respiratory issues. So it kind of tells the story of where we've come from, and it kind of tells me, for me, that if I look after my lungs, I'll, I'll be great. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm going to get any, any lung issues, but I need to look after them. I need to not smoke, and I need to exercise. I need to do breathing exercises. Things like yoga, where we do deep breathing, is really good for me. So it actually shows... It actually gives me the tools to get to my optimal health, I believe. Well, why does this work? Why? Well, by, by, uh, over many, many years, over thousands and thousands of years, people have u- been using iridology, and what they've been doing is making charts. So they look at signs in the iris. There might be a little, a little flower. I call them a flower, but like a little break in the fibres in a particular area, let's say 3 o'clock on the left, on the left iris. And they've noticed that over time that that always um, gave a description of how the heart is working. And it's really interesting, when, when we've done studies, there's, there's a, um, a neurologist from Sweden who did a study of all the iris charts around the world, and these people would not have known each other. These people would not have had any chance to Zoom or to, to see each other or anything like that. But when you see, um, see these charts, the, the heart is always at 3 o'clock on the left iris. The, the head is always right at the top and the kidneys are always right down the bottom. So by, by doing this over time, they've seen that there's certain... Certain signs that they see in the iris, whether there's a colour or a structural sign, purport to a certain type of um, organ dysfunction or organ weakness that they used to call. So, yeah, that's how we know it works. So by, by using charts that the people have used over thousands of years, and the Egyptians had charts, the Greeks had charts, the Chinese had charts, there's Japanese charts, lots of Russian charts. So, and, and a lot of these charts, they wouldn't have been able to, to study together which is really interesting. Is there any scientific basis for this? I mean, what is the scientific explanation? 
Well, the scientific basis, I mean, there hasn't been scientific double-blind trials in iridology, and there really couldn't be because the iris is not a diagnostic tool. It's an assessment tool, as you said. So it, it's a way to assess your, your predispositions or your possible weaknesses or possible strengths. So the, the, expert, the scientific explanation is the fact that it's been used over thousands of years in, in the same sense, in the same, you know, to help people... Um, to discover how to, to better their health. I mean, the Greeks say, you know, you, you could see the health of the person in the iris, and, and I, I don't remember the exact Bible term, but there's a Bible term to say that we can also see the health of the person in the eyes. So, so I guess the scientific study is being, it, it's being used over thousands of years. Well, there are some studies that show some good success in, for example, detecting diabetes. Uh, I could cite yeah, them if you want. But there are some studies that shows it's been pretty successful in detecting it. And Michael Carter, whom I've interviewed on this show, he and his colleagues say that you get the the eyes is, you know, you can diagnose what's going on in the brain very easily by what's going on in the eye. I mean, it kind of makes sense because you can see what the blood vessels are doing behind the scenes, etc., so, and a lot of people are doing studies. Uh, sorry to interrupt. A lot of people are doing studies these days on things like diabetes and things like kidney kidney science, etc. And diabetes is a, is a really interesting one because it's such a big, huge um, illness. It's you know sort of overtaking the Western world, really, and and also in Asia a lot too because they they you know taking on a Western diet. So diabetes is increasing there as well a lot. Um, but in the iris, you can see lots of um, pre-diabetic signs. For example, my daughter. My daughter, um, see, around the iris, you have your pupil. And around the pupil, if you ever look at an iris, there, there's something called a collarette, which looks like a flower around the pupil. And it's, not, it's often round, but my daughter has a square flower. And when we have a square flower around the, coll- around the pupil, it, it means that it, it um, impacts on the pancreatic areas of the iris. So every, each organ in our body has a reflex area of the iris. Um, so it means that it, um, it, it, it goes into those pancreatic areas, which, which instantly that becomes her primary nurture point. And my oldest daughter, I asked, actually asked her when she was about four or five, because I was teaching a class for Tony Miller, and I actually asked her, darling, would you mind if I used your eye in my, in my class today? And she said, oh, what are you going to say, Daddy? And I was going to say that I'm going to tell them that you're full of love because the, the pancreas is, is an organ that responds to being loved and appreciated. And for her, she's got this sign in her iris and she's always going to have this sign in her iris because it's a structural sign. So structural signs don't change. So she's always going to have this sign in her iris. So the pancreas will always be her nurture point. So I've taught her that, that you know, we have less, less um, sugar in our diet and she's 20 now, so, she, so she's take, taken that on to a, to a degree. But, you know, obviously 20-year-olds will, will dabble with lots of different foods. But she knows that when she has um, sugar, she doesn't feel as well. But emotionally, what I've tried to teach her is that she needs to do something that she really loves and also be surrounded by people that, that really love her. Because if she does that, I believe that she'll have much less chance of getting anything like diabetes or hyperglycemia or any sugar imbalance issues so it's about sort of guiding people from an early age like she's really lucky because she had her eyes red you know you know when she was really young but it's guiding her so she doesn't ever get diabetes which her, her grandparents do have 
And how does this compare with sclerology, which is a study of the white part of the eye? Sure. The sclerology, so sclerology, as you said, the study of the white part, which is around the iris. And in sclerology, there's also maps. So there's also maps of where, where, you know, where particular signs we see, where particular lines are, particular colours, and they, they respond or correspond to, to certain organ areas. And, but with sclerology, they, they can also, we can also see changes. So, for example, if you saw yellow, yellow in the, um, the white part of your iris, that often has to do with your liver. So often when, when I see yellow, in, when I look at people's eyes, I usually try and treat their liver to some, to some degree. However, if we, we do that and we do a detox program or you know, they change their diet or lifestyle, that can go. So in sclerology, we can see certain changes. But with the iris, you know, there's 16 billion eyes on the planet and none of them are the same. It's quite amazing. And, and if they change, then, then, um, then it wouldn't work to, by using iris as um, identification. So in biometrics, you can actually use the iris as identification. For example, when you go into the CAA building in, in, in Washington, yeah, they, don't, you, they don't use any cards to get in. They use a scan of your iris. And you cannot fudge that. Like, there's no iris that's ever going to be the same as yours, which is amazing, isn't it? Like, to think there's 16 billion patterns. And I'm saying 16 billion because there's even your right and your left eye aren't the same. Wow. Quite fascinating. Mm. So are you saying that the iris is basically the structure you come in with and that doesn't change much, but the sculpture is something that's telling you what's going on currently and gives you an idea Absolutely. of your current health, and that will change, and you could see progress in it over time. Is that Absolutely. what you're saying? Absolutely. And I, I also teach a class called Body Wisdom Science, which incorporates some neurodology, but incorporates other areas too, because if I see a if I see a sign in the iris, let's say in the liver area, that I'm going to look at other areas of the body to, to tell me, you know, is that active? You know, like by seeing a, a structural sign in the iris, it may not be active. It may be something that we've inherited, but, you know, we're living so well that, you know, there, there's no, no particular issue there. However, if you look at the tongue, which also show you the liver signs, if you look at the, you know, the, you know there's signs on your fingers and signs on your face, that also, that also points to the liver, then I, I kind of think of that as like a flag system. So, for example, like if, if I walk past your home, you might have an American flag, and that, you know, that's very common. But if you had two flags on your, in your garden, then I think, oh, isn't that interesting? I wonder why she's got two flags. But if you had three flags, let's say you had a sign in your liver in, the, in your iris, a sign in your liver in your tongue, and then a sign in your liver in your face, then I'll, I'll be thinking, oh, I wonder if we should do something about the liver here. Does it make sense? So I use the flag system and looking at other areas of the body to, 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 to reinforce what I'm seeing in the iris. So, um, so what kind of things do you look for in the iris? Is there something that we can look in the mirror and see ourselves and map out our Absolutely. eyes? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, best thing, the best thing to do about, uh, with the iris is to work out what colour you are. And there's, uh, there's really only three colours. In the iris that we that we work with, there's there's blue, there's brown, and then there's mixed. So you might be thinking, okay, but I've got hazel eyes or I've got green eyes, but they're a variation of the blue. So the blue is lymphatic. 
So lymphatic means that for blue-eyed people, most of the nurture points will be to do with the lymphatic system. So they may have had issues to do with um, enothroat problems or you know, childhood ear problems or sinus problems or you know, arthritic problems, anything to do with your lymphatic system. And the best diet for those people is to, to decrease foods that create more mucus. So if you're blue-eyed, the best diet for you is to decrease things like dairy, like white flour products, like sugar, and, and have more fruits and vegetables and more sort of um, fresh things. And things are in season. Like, you know, if, it's, if, it's, um, you know, if you live in Oregon and it's winter, probably not the best idea to be eating mangoes. So things that are in season are a really good idea as well. Um, so that's if you're blue-eyed. But if you're brown-eyed, the, the nurture point, the primary nurture point is your circulation. So often with brown-eyed people, they can become more sluggish. So they can, become, they can have more issues with constipation, more issues with things like varicose veins, etc. So with brown-eyed people, it's really important to move. So to move, so to have a lot more movement and more exercise and also movement in the body. So, you know, like if you, if you do have bowel issues in your brown-eyed, you want to have more fibre. So you want to have more living foods, like, you know, and more foods that are um, really nutrient-rich. So when I say nutrient-rich, I mean like a toast and, and Vegemite, well, I was going to say Vegemite, that's an Australian thing, but toast and butter, let's say, or jam, is not really a nutrient-rich food. Like especially white bread and, and jam is not going to give you pretty much any nutrients in my eyes. But if you had like a smoothie and you put some you know, coconut water and, green, and spinach and some green powder and a bit of protein and a bit of you know, banana and berries and maybe some honey... That's going to be really nutrient-rich because that means that the, the machine, the, the blender, will have done lots of the work for you as well. So, so by looking in your eye, you can actually tell if you're someone that needs to have more nutrient-rich foods or you can cope with any foods, depending on, on your colorette, which is that little circle that goes around the pupil. Now, if you're, now we'll go into the mixed type. So if you're a mixed type, the primary nurture point is the liver. So a mixed type is kind of like not blue, not brown. It's kind of mixed. It's, there's some colours around the middle often. There's colours around the edge, but it's not completely brown. So if you're a mixed type, the liver is the primary nurture point. So things to avoid are things that overtax the liver. So things like um, coffee and alcohol and fats and um, rich sweets and you know white flour products and things like that. So less of those will help the liver so that will help your, your actual you know, optimal health. So remember, that the, I believe that the, our, our main aim is not just to have good health, but have great health. So to have great health, we re, I believe we really need to know what our, our nurture points are. And I don't, I don't like to call them weaknesses. I like to call them nurture points because those areas are the areas that we need to nurture. So by look, by, even by looking in, your, in the mirror now, or by looking, you know, you can look at your phone while you're listening to this um, to this recording and um, you can you know, take a photo and maybe you know, zoom in and look at the, the colour of your eyes. So if you're blue or you're brown or you're mixed, that can tell you so much about your digestion, so much about the areas to, to eat and, and, and things to do. Um, and and I, I believe that will help you in, in achieving optimal health. Uh, I have what look like brown eyes, but yet an iridologist yep. told me they are blue. Can you explain that? Sure. If, if you have something that looks like brown eyes, I believe you're probably a mixed. Probably a mixed. So it, it, when you take a photo of your eyes, if it's blue with the, you know, just a few little colors around, I'd say you're, you're blue-eyed. 
But you, but to look at your eye, it's brown. Is that correct? They're very dark brown. Yes. Okay, so I'd probably say that then you might you might be a mixed eye. So mixed eye means that there's that, you know you can have like a, lo- a lot of a lot of brown, but there's lots of other patches in between as well. So it's almost like putting a putting some brown on blue, if you like. So I, if they look dark to a naked eye, I probably would say that you're a mixed type. And and you can we could ask you the questions like the the thing with iridology it's not diagnosis diagnosis at all it's this like an assessment tool so if I was confused about what colour you were if I thought oh is she mixed or is she um, brown I would just ask you some questions and I could ask you some questions like um, how does your liver work now do you, do you get bloated or do you get any um, any gut discomfort etc so I'd, uh, yeah, and depending on your answers that would um, that would lead me to to the next questions to ask. So it's really about, it's, it's like being a detective, the iridology. It's like, you know, it's like leading what questions should I ask to get, you know, to get to where I need to go. Well, actually... And if it looks brown, I'd probably say you're mixed. I'd love to see a photo. Maybe we'll, we'll if you could send me a photo um, during the week, that'd be great. I wish I could. And what she did is point to the uh, outside of the iris and she saw some blue tones and based it on that. So I don't know. Anyway, what other things can you tell our audience that they can use as quick tools to help them with the assessment of their uh, points they need to emphasize in their health path? Sure. Well, a really good thing to look at is your tongue each morning. So, you know, a lot of people scrape their tongues. And when I say a clean tongue in my clinic, I often, or the first thing I ask them is, have you cleaned your tongue today? Um, And I usually say to them, next time you come in, I'd like you not to, please, just so I can have a look at it. Um, but, But looking at your tongue, and I'll describe the tongue map to you. So right at the tip is the heart area, right at the tip of the tongue. And if we see any signs there, it could be like a bit of redness or something. We, you know, we might ask them some questions about their heart. Further on from the heart is the lungs. And on the sides is the liver. So often when you look at your tongue, and I'd, I'd recommend your listeners just look at your tongue you know, in a mirror or you know, with, the, with the selfie now, if you look, if you if you see lines on the side, or if you see any colours on the sides of your tongue, then that is the liver. So you, and that could be an indication. Okay, I need to do something about that. So usually, if 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 I have a mixed-eyed person, or if I have a liver any liver signs in the tongue, I usually ask people to take some lemon juice in the morning. So lemon juice is a really great liver cleanser first thing up because the liver, if you think about the biorhythms and the, and the acupuncture clock or, you know, or the meridian clock, the liver works a lot between 1 and 3 a.m. And, and that's why often we can wake up with either a hangover if we've been drinking or you know, feeling a bit sluggish because the liver's been trying to clean our body, trying to filter, filter all our you know, food through our hormones, our toxins and things like that. So by, by looking at your tongue... Maybe think, okay, do I need to, 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 be, to befriend my liver today? And as I said, a really good way to do that is to start with some lemon juice first thing in the morning with a bit of water. And if you're really keen, you could add some turmeric to that. Turmeric is a, another really great liver, um, liver stimulant. It sounds uh, identical to the Chinese system. They use the tongue for diagnosis. Yeah. And if you've got a crack down in the middle, oh, that's your GI tract. And I thought the sides, if they're puffy, might be uh, spleen or stagnant chi or whatever. But the yeah. Chinese have used that and, you know, and yeah. with and success. That's how we've learned. that's how we've learned tongue, tongue diagnosis or tongue analysis. That's how we've learned it through the Chinese. And what if you've got a big gunky um, coating on it? 
Well, often if it's a big donkey cone, it depends on the colour. If it's white, it's often to do with candida or thrush. And if it's yellow, it's often to do with the liver. But it depends where it is. Like if it's all over, then we, we look at the colour. But if it's like just at the back, for instance, right at the back is where our bowels are. Bowels and kidneys are right at the back. So we'd ask them some questions about their bowel health. And, and a lot of people have, do have sluggish bowels. I mean, it really depends on, on the person's bowel habits. But often I find people have... You know, I have a bowel chart that I they ask people to you know, describe their emotions with, which is a bit of a, a strange, a strange um, question. But it actually tells me so much about their, about their health. And not many people have a bowel motion right in the middle. So often, often it's too hard or constipated. Often it's too soft. So if it's constipated, you want to you want to really um, you know move that along with fibre and things. But it's actually a really good idea to actually test our transit time. So that's another thing I do with the people. If I, if I can see in their tongue that they may have some bowel issues or in their lung or in their, sorry, in their, in their iris, I'll often get them to do a transit test where I, I want to know how long does it take for the food to get from your mouth all the way through to, to your, um, your faeces. So that's, that's something we can work with as well. But yeah, if, if, it's, if it's right at the back of the tongue, it's often to do with our bowels. If it's all over... If it's all over in white, I often ask some questions about candida or sugar levels. If it's yellow, it's, it's often to do with the liver. And in my experience, it's when, it's, when the tongue is yellow, it's pretty much always to do with the liver. What other uh, hints can you give our audience that they can learn from watching their tongues? Sure. So with, with the tongues, um, if it's dry... You're, you're often dehydrated, especially in the morning. Like in the morning, you haven't drunk for like, you know, six to eight hours um, unless you get up in the middle of the night. So if your tongue's really dry in the morning, it can be an indication that you might be um, either mouth breathing or, um, or dehydrated. But often, I mean, in my country, like we, we live in one of the driest countries on the planet, and one of the biggest issues of dehydration. So one of the first things I look at with the tongue is, is whether it's dry. And it should be moist. So if your tongue is dry, drink more water. And usually, for most people, if you drink more water, then you're going to feel better. Because in, in the iris, there's so many people that we found, you know, in, in, the, in this current generation, they have kidney signs. And that makes the kidneys a, a nurture point. It's really interesting. Okay. You, you suggest for, you know, issues with the liver, uh, lemon juice in the morning. What about apple cider vinegar or baking soda? Would they do the same? Apple cider vinegar is really fabulous, absolutely fabulous. And if you want, like, a really healthy, you know, morning tonic, lemon juice, apple cider vinegar, and a bit of turmeric is fabulous. It's a really good... It's almost like a wake-up call for your body. And it's almost like, think of your body as working all the time. Like, you know, those factories that work 24-7. Even in between shifts, someone comes and cleans the floor at least. That, that's what those drinks often do. And it kind of like starts you off for, for, you know, a better day. Now, with the baking soda, that's a really good way to get less acidic. And what I usually do in my clinic, I always check with my new clients how acidic they are. Because, you know, like if people have reflux or if people have gout or if people have any, any sort of symptoms like that, they're often going to be acidic. So I want to know how acidic they are. I want to know are they 5.2 or 5.5 or, or 6.5 in the, acidic, in, in the pH scale. So in the pH scale, 7 is neutral. So if it's below 7, it's normally acidic. So I, I definitely do that. I... I you know, and you can use baking soda, but I usually use a product, another product that that it's an alkalizer. 
But even even lots of juices do alkalizing. Like if, if, for my acidic people, I often get them to do um, celery juice. So if you think you're acidic, what you can do is go to a chemist or a pharmacy and get some pH strips. They're pretty easy to find, just pH urine strips and check your acidity. And if you're, if you're, especially if you're under six, which is quite acidic, you want to be able to, you want to be fixing that because normally most illnesses thrive in an acidic environment. So you, you want, we don't want to be acidic. We want to be more alkaline or you want to be sl- or even slightly acidic. Like I think ideal is around 6.5 to 6.8 in the acidity scale because it gives us a little bit of acidity to, to digest our proteins because we still need acids to digest our you know, heavy proteins like beef and chicken and things like that. But, um, but it, it's, we're not really acidic where we're getting arthritis and, and gout and you know, other issues similar to that. Like reflux is a big issue. So you're saying that to measure our acidity, take a first morning urine and do a dipstick to test what the acidity yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You just get you just get pH strips. They're very easy to get. I I, I have like a you know a, a big packet in my clinic that I get my clients to do, and depending on what I give them, there's particular products that have uh, strips in them because then I'll get them to check their acid levels periodically and make sure that they're not acidic and if they are acidic then they take this particular product but yeah i mean a really good product to do if you don't want to take medications or even then even if they're natural medications i I think getting things through through diet and and, um and juicing is fantastic is celery juice celery juice and also cucumber juice are great alkalizers really really good alkalizers and and you can add other things too you can add carrot you can add Ginger, you can add you know, apple even if you want to make it a bit sweeter. But celery juice is the key, I think, for acidity. Can you just eat the celery? You can, but you're not going to get as much. So if you use celery juice, you're really getting a lot of, a lot of the actual nutrients from it and the acidity. So you can definitely eat, eat celery, but, it, but think about how much celery you're going to eat and how much celery would make, you know, like a half a cup of juice, I'm talking about, like at least... I mean, so you would add put, other things to that juice, but we want to have half a cup at least of celery juice. So we put the celery in the blender and out comes the juice? Yeah, well, you, you can do that. That will make it like a smoothie, and you can definitely do that. It'll be quite fibrous, but that's quite nice as well. But um, if you want to get the juice, you need to put in a juicer, which will, will excrete the fiber. Okay. Does the pH but, of the but, urine change throughout the day? Uh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. Um, usually starts a bit more acidic. It depends on what we eat. Like some people eat a really acid-forming diet. Like if you lived on, let's say you had um, bacon and eggs for breakfast and you had like a hamburger for lunch and pasta you know, with meatballs for tea, then that's a very acidic diet. So it's going to be stay acidic or even get more acidic during the day. So it really depends on how, how they're living. But yeah, usually it's, it's, it's quite acidic in the morning. Okay. So it's important to check each, at the same time each day. And can you share some samples of success stories where iridology played a significant role in improving family health? Absolutely, absolutely. So wh- one of the things I absolutely love is working with families. So, you know, like l- l- working with children um, because then, they, then what we can do is really help them with, with their lifestyle. For example, as I was saying with my daughter, um, with her... Um, with her, you know, sort of pancreatic sort of tendencies. But what 
I usually try and do is usually when I look in the eye, I always start with uh, with a with the colour, because when I look at the colour, then I can give them the, their particular diet, and that's what I was oh, I was talking about earlier. After that, I start with the three nurture points. And by, by the three nurture points, what I mean is I, t- I try and keep things simple because with an iris, you can a- I can actually write 30 pages about a particular iris, which is a lot of information. And, then, and it's also almost too much information for some people. So what I like to do is I like to keep it simple. So I like to, after I look at the colour, which is their constitution, I look at three things that jump out at me. And if you're looking at my particular iris, there would be the kidneys, the lungs, and the gut. So let me let me talk about um, another a boy. Um, he's a young man that I knew, and he he had a lot of gut issues. And in his iris, he had what looked like a, a brown iris, but actually was a mixed because he had a lot of brown in the middle, and he had and sort of more bluish around the edge. And when you have brown in the middle, it often can mean that you're that you become more fermentive. Like, you know, your, your digestion really needs to be super clean if you're going to have really um, great digestion. So these people are not very, not very good on the white diet, if you like. White diet as in white pasta, white bread, white sugar, white milk, things like that. So this particular person also had a very thin collarette. As I said before, the collarette is that circle around your pupil. And inside that circle is where we see the reflex aureus for the gut organs. So this particular person, I was, I was telling them that what they need is to have less, less food but more often. Because they've got a thinner collarette, so thinner gut area, let's say, they need to have more food less often. Okay? So the worst, worst thing for these people is to overeat. So I, I told this to... It was a young man. He was in his 20s. told this to, the, to this boy. Well, I call him a boy because I'm in my 50s, but to this man. And... And I also told him about the um, about the actual diet. So we, I said we really need to have lots and lots and lots of um, fresh stuff to actually to actually clean your diet, to clean your bowels, to push things through. So I said to him, the worst thing for you would be to eat white stuff, like white dairy, white sugar, white bread, white pasta, things like that. And I, and what he said to me, because as most people in, their, in your twenties, you want to explore and you want to you know go out and be with friends and not have to worry so much. What I said to him is, I want you to follow this eighty percent of the time, okay? And I, I said to him, this is my eighty fifteen five rule. So the eighty fifteen five rule is eighty percent of the time I want you to follow your constitutional diet. So that's the diet that I was talking about before for the brown eyed or the mixed or the blue eyed. 15% of the time, let's say you're out with your friends or you're going to visit Auntie Mary and she's made you a lasagna that's not gluten-free or something like that, don't worry so much about it. And 5% of the time, I like to call it the naughty time. So if you really, really like, um, let's say, a nice cappuccino and a tiramisu cake, then that's going to be okay once in a while. But it won't be okay every, every day or even every week. For, the, for, for particular people. So the 80-15-5 rule, he really adopted that, this, this guy, and he, he really helped his bowel. Like he was going like two or three times a week, but he ended up going every day because he actually really changed his diet and he actually got rid of wheat from his diet, or gluten in particular, um, to a large degree, to a large degree. So he, he still had time because, because when you say to someone, you've got to do this forever, they're already going to get their back up. 
is that I never actually say to people, you've got to do this forever. I always say, this is what I'd like you to do most of the time. And, and, and for him, he had so much less bloating. He felt better. He, um, he, he, he went to the gym and, and felt better there because he was you know, not feeling as bloated, so he was able to work on his muscles better. And, and going, going, to, you know, going to have a, um, a, a bowel motion every day was so different for him, and he just felt so much better in his gut. And that, that obviously has an effect on the mind because the, the gut and brain um, connection is, is, is massive. So that actually ha- had a, a big effect on his mind and his energy. So he, he's in his um, 30s now, and he's, he's doing really great. I see him regularly. Yeah, so that's one story. I've got lots of other stories. But the 80-15-5 rule is a really good one to follow, I think. I love the 80-15-5 rule because the naughty times are very enjoyable and can't eliminate Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm a blue. I'm I'm actually a green eyed, but that means that means I'm you know blue lymphatic. But for me, I shouldn't be having dairy. As soon as I have dairy, I you know I feel like I can't breathe as much because I'm much more fuller in my sinuses. But there's a particular thing that I love to do. Is I love to go to a particular movie theater in in uh, in Melbourne, and they have these choc tops, such a chocolate chili. And I love chocolate and chili together. So every time I go there, I have one because it's it's fun. I don't do it that often. I probably do it once a month, but it's so much fun. We've got to have fun. That's part of being Absolutely. healthy. Absolutely. Fun is important. Great believer in fun, laughter, and being silly. Just Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, did that mean? what is tongue scraping? Does that have any health benefits? I don't believe it does. I don't believe okay. it does because the tongue is a reflection of what is happening in our gut. So the tongue is um, the tongue will show us what's happening in our stomach, in our in our intestines, in our large intestines, our liver. So by scraping it, all it really does is it looks better. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I mean, that's important too for some people. But I th- I think if you're going to scrape your tongue, I think it's really important to ha- have a look at it first and and take some action. Yes, and yeah. we can. Daily. I don't think it actually has. Yeah, I don't think it actually has a health benefit to clean the tongue. No. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, what would one expect if they go consult with an iridologist? Okay. Well, I mean, let, let, let me just tell you about what I would do. So, I would, um, I would normally, they would normally fill in a form, um, you know, about, about their address and what they do, their occupation, and everything. And I would sit them down. I would take a photo of their iris, and I, I'd explain. I'd explain that the iris reflects the um, the patterns and colours that I'll see in the iris reflects what you've inherited from your last three generations, and whether we develop the potentials in your iris to the best case or the worst case scenario will depend on how you eat, drink, think, live, and love. And that's what I'm going to help you with today. That's what I'm going to help you discover. So then I would take a photo and I would look at, look that up on my screen with them, and I would first of all I would talk about the colour. So I say you've got a blue iris. Or you've got it, and we do go into the colour a little bit more, like with with, with um, you know more sort of advanced constitution. You don't need to do that as a for our listeners. All we really need to worry about is the colour at this stage with diet. But I would I would say your constitution is the lymphatic or the kidney lymphatic or something like that. 
So the best, and then I would go through the diet. I'd say normally kidney and lymphatic people may have had issues with so-and-so. Or I might say, if I see a sign, I might say people with eyes like yours are usually related to someone who may have had diabetes or may have had some sugar imbalance issues. I actually don't even like to, um, to um, mention um, diseases or syndromes. I just say some sugar balance issues. Does that relate to you at all? And usually they might say, yeah, my mum's got diabetes or my mum had so-and-so have diabetes. But first of all, I would focus on the colour and their diet. So, so like I did with you earlier, I would, I would talk about what their best diet is. And I'll also give them some lifestyle advice. For example, if you're blue-eyed, you're going to find that you probably do really well with singing. Because blue-eyed people often have glandular issues, in the, especially in the throat. And singing really helps to exercise that. Another really good thing for, for blue-eyed people is um, trampolining. So jump, jumping up and down on a trampoline because it really helps to break down the lymph. So our lymph should flow freely, not be sticky lymph. So often when, we, when we're eating more mucus-forming foods, we've got sticky lymph. And by jumping on a trampoline, it actually helps to break down the lymph. So, you know, depending on their colour, I'll give them some guidelines with their diet and then with their, um, with their lifestyle. And then, then I say to them, now I'm going to look at your iris and I'm going to pick three nurture points that we're going to talk about today. And I'll look at, at, at the iris and say, okay, your primary nurture points, and see, I, I really like using the word nurture points rather than weaknesses, or even predispositions. Nurture points, like if I said to you, like, you know, if I gave you a kitten and I said nurture it, you're going to look after it. You're going to pat it and give it milk and give it some food and, and look after it. And that's what I want you to do if I, if, if I say your nurture point is your liver. So I'll pick the three things that jump out at me, whether that's a break in the fibres, whether that, that's a little pigment, a little colour. We call pigments jewels. Um, whether that's a flower where there's like a little opening in the fibres. So wherever those particular things are, um, according to the, to the iris chart, I'll call those the nurture points. So, for example, I, I'm, I'm going to look at a quick photo now. So my, my daughter Zoe, for instance. Zoe's got a, a blue yellow-blue eyes, so she's a kidney type as well. And her primary nurture points are her gut, her gut, her skin, and her lymphatics. So she's got a lymphatic rosary. And if you, you might be able to see this with a, with a, um, with a, even with a naked eye. If you've got little tiny white dots around the edge, near to, to the edge of your iris, that's a lymphatic type. That's a, it's called a lymphatic rosary, actually. Um, but what, we, what I like to call it is a, a ring of harmony. So for Zoe, she's got a ring of harmony. So that is one of her nurture points. So people with a ring of harmony really don't like conflict. So for Zoe, what I've said to her is that you need to speak up. So she'll, she will um, naturally not want to speak up in class, for instance, or you know, let's say she's ordered something in a restaurant, they bought the wrong thing. She'll naturally not want to... Um, speak up because she doesn't want to um, rock the boat, for instance. So I've also got a ring of harmony, so I sort of know how it feels. But but what I suggest to you may not be a food. It may be something like, okay, you've got a ring of harmony and you want to keep people happy and you're a people pleaser, but what we really need to do is make sure you're looking after yourself first. So we, we uh, you know, might train people in, in, a, in a different way, not just depending on their foods. Um, yeah, so when I look at the nurture points, then we write them down on a sheet for them and I'll give them something to do. Like let's say, for example, for me, the, my nurture points are my gut, my kidneys and my lungs. So for lungs, I might say exercise or I might say yoga or I might say tai chi or something where I'm using my lungs, where I'm actually teaching my lung, lungs to do deep breathing. 
And then for the kidneys, I'll always put water. Like, I mean, most of us aren't having enough water. And for me, if I don't have enough water, as I said before, I'll get a headache. Um, and then for the, the gut, it's all to do with food for me. So if I have bad food for too long, then then I'll, I'll get sort of bowel issues. So, for example, I'm okay having a really great Christmas day with lots of Christmas dinner and sweets, but if I, if I make that the next day and the next day and the next day, I'm going to really feel it. So I'll, I'll just give people some guidelines about that, and then, and then it depends on what they've come in for. Like they may have come in for just great, feeling great, or they may have come in for, for headaches. So then I'll focus on, on, on the, the issue that they've come in for, and I'll, I'll give them some remedies for that, or I might do some bone therapy for their headaches, etc. So that's what a natu- an oridology appointment will look like in my clinic. But I try not to overwhelm people. I'm not someone who, who will see you for two hours and, and talk about every single little detail that I see because that gets overwhelming for people. And if you're someone, you can actually tell by looking at the iris how people will learn. If you're someone who's a flower type, that means you've got lots of openings in your iris, that's going to be so overwhelming for you, you probably won't want to come back. But if you're a jewel type, if you've got lots of pigments in your eyes, you're going to want to have that information. So by looking at your eye, you can actually tell a lot about the person's personality and how to treat them as a client when they come into your clinic. So I use use that all the time as well. That is interesting. What does great family health mean? And why is it important for families okay. to prioritize this? Yeah. So great family health is, is about, it's about feeling confident. It's about feeling confident in your ability to keep your family healthy, whether, that, whether you've got children that are two or whether you have children that are 18 or whether, whether it's, you know, it, it's, it's you and your partner or whether it's just yourself. It's about having confidence in, in ways to improve your health. Like, not, you know, if you get a sniffle, you don't always need to go to the doctor straight away. And sometimes where, where I live, you can't get into the doctor for, you know, for, for many days for, you know, sometimes. It's about, about gaining the skills and the confidence to keep ourselves healthy and to keep our family healthy, especially, you know, the, breaking the cycle of, of illness. Like this time of year, it's, it's winter where I am in Australia, and it's quite cold. I live in, the, in southern Australia. It's actually it's about two degrees at the moment, which is about 36 degrees in the Fahrenheit. Um, so in this time of year, like so many people come in and they're, they're just getting sick over and over and over. So that you know they get, they're having antibiotics, or their kids are having antibiotics, or they you know one kid gets well and the other gets then the other gets sick and then the other kid gets sick and you know it's like a cycle of illness. So it's trying to break that cycle of illness and looking after 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 the children and your own health in in ways that we can improve our immune system so we're actually not getting sick as often. But when we are getting sick, just to have ways to help that, whether that's with natural remedies that we, our parents used to use. You know, like, like who, who uses, you know, like onions, you know, in your, in your feet? My, my mum used to always use that. I've, I haven't used that for years because I've got other, other, other tactics. But, you know, like uh, it's about harnessing some of the knowledge that, that we had as, in, that our ancestors had because they didn't have the capacity to just go to, you know, to a pharmacy and, and buy, you know, any particular antihistamine or any particular, you know, anti-inflammatory. So it's about ways to help keep our, ourselves healthy, our children healthy, but having confidence to do that. 
Uh, you know, in, in today's technological world, I mean, it's like technology dominates our life. People are always on their cell phones. I think their cognitive processes change, their curiosity about the world change. Can this technology be used to promote health or is it going to hinder it? Well, you know what? There's a lot of technology that can promote health. And I use technology all the time. You know, I use technology to take iris photos. I use technology to, to you know, help me with apps that, you know, that will help me with, you know, what side effects some of the medications that people might be having. Or, you know, there's so much information on the internet that we can use, and, and we all use it. There's no point, there's no point saying, we, you know, we, we, we shouldn't use it. But there needs to be some downtime. And it's interesting, my, my son, my son is 15, just recently, um, this week, had a bit of an overhaul of, of how his, um, of his day. It was interesting because he did that himself. But he, now he's saying that at 8.15 p.m., he's going to turn off his phone because he wants to go to bed by 9. And, and it's so easy to be on our phone even while we've you know, fallen asleep. And there's so much blue light, and I I think we don't really know enough about Wi-Fi waves and you know all, all the radiation we get from exactly. our phone. I really don't think we know enough about that yet. So it's really important to um to limit that if we can, especially with kids. Like I know I know some some parents who who have no screens at all, like even television till they're two at least. Which I, and I I have found. I mean I, I haven't done a study on this for sure, but I've found that those kids are much more much more aware, and and they actually look at me in the eyes more, rather than you know like, like there's some people that come into my clinic and their their kids are just on a screen so that their parents can talk to me. You know, because they literally cannot focus with anything else, and 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 there's a reason why there's a reason why Steve Jobs didn't want his kids to have um, an iPad till they were you know over fourteen. I think I can't remember the exact date. You, you know, they, like he invented it. Like you know, there's so much. I really, really, really believe that with kids, we need to limit their screen time, and you can do that with lots of apps. There's technology to help you do that with um, screen you know limits, and I know I know some. Um, some 18-year-olds that still have screen limits because it helps them. Like, it's so addictive. Like, it's so addictive. Once you're on there, it's, you know, you go to Instagram and then you go to this and you go to that and, and that leads you to this. And it's down a rabbit hole. And oh, before you know coming to a close, so I hate to interrupt, but also I think some of the pings have been arranged, according to Robert Lustig, that it gets your dopamine going. I mean, you, you know, you, you're looking for the likes and there's a delay with the pings and that's intentionally programmed in there, as is a lot of things programmed into our food. But anyway, with uh, one minute left, what final words would you like to tell our audience and how would people get a hold of you? Sure. So, I mean, what what I, something I heard on the podcast this morning, which is really interesting, is don't don't settle for great. Sorry, don't settle for mediocre health. If you want great health, find what makes your health optimal. Find the ways diet-wise Exercise-wise, water-wise, find the actual ways to make yourself optimal because everyone has a chance to achieve optimal health. And I think the iris is a great way to help you, to, to guide you into that. I, I believe it's like a blueprint, like Google Maps, like a blueprint to get to optimal health. And you can find me, you can look up Christos Milienkos. Um, I'm at the Northeast Naturopathic Group in Wangaratta, but if you Google Christos Milianks, you'll be able to find me, and I've actually recently written a book um, that is for anyone who wants to learn more about their eyes. It's called People with Eyes Like These, 
and it's available on Amazon, and that will guide you on the colours and some of the things that we see in our iris if you want to learn more. But um, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you, and I was really, really, really excited to meet you in Paris recently when when I spoke there. But um, thank you, and I, I look forward to speaking to you again. Oh, I sure hope so. So there you have it, audience. Um, a new tool for getting a guide on how we're progressing in our health or in a case of iridology of what we came in with, what our propensities were and, you know, basic concerns. So share this with your friends, um, discuss it with your, your physician, um, and get the word out, and above all, be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.